welcome back, and here we go for another episode of FileMaker Talk. All right, Matt. Say it. Say whatever you're going to say. Oh, yeah. I just figured out that that's in the key of G. Because <laughs> I have a little keyboard next to my thing, and I'm playing like... Which you probably can't hear because Zoom ed- edits out all music in the background. I can hear it Welcome a little bit, Welcome to FileMaker Talk. You know, Matt, we should have someone on who's like really cool and handsome and smart one of these days. Oh, dude, like, well who, then who could don't, that be? don't call Chris Hippolyte. Don't call him. <laughs> yeah, he, there's no way we can get that guy. That, he's oh. way too famous. Hey, wait. No, it is. It's him. Was oh. it him or, or was it a, a machine learning model of him? Mm, How can you tell the difference? For, 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 for sure, will we, actually? Chris, Ooh, that was a callback to a Max. What Max was that? Headroom. Max Headroom. Yep. Max Headroom? Wait. <laughs> wow. Dude, flash me back. <laughs> Do it again. I actually have a Max Headroom Zoom background uh, for when I'm talking about machine learning, but you know, it doesn't work on audio, so I didn't have Max it. Max Headroom. Okay. I remember that. Wow. That that takes then, me back to uh, Dragon Lair. Dragon's Lair was about the same time too. That that was like the new video game. You played Asteroids, but then you said, "What was this? Dragon Lair, a game with a cartoon that you could control." That was cool. Well, technically, Max Hedrum was like really the first deep fake of a person, right? It was a a model of a guy, <clears throat> and then he just became its own personality. So you may or may not be talking to the Max Hedrum Chris Ippolite or the real one. We'll see. We'll see. Cool. I'm trying to remember um, the guy who played Max Headroom later on became an um, actor in another sci-fi show that I totally loved and whose name I can't remember. Anyway, <clears throat> I love that guy. So our topic today, in case you haven't guessed, is machine learning. Hey-o. And I'm very excited to be here to chat with you guys about that. And you, all, all seriousness, it is real Chris here. I do have a deep fake video version of me and then a uh, a voice model that I've been training, which is a little bit more mature. Well, frankly, it's, <laughs> it tells, more mature. it's a little bit more mature, but all it does is tell 13 year old jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to get all the swearing uh, worked out of it, too. So uh, but it, it's it's a work in progress. But uh, I'm real. Chris is here with you and I am excited to talk about my favorite topic of machine learning and with uh, two of my favorite guys, too. Is it, so is it your I have a number question. one part of FileMaker you love? It, it, uh, is machine learning my favorite part of FileMaker that I love right now? Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably say this is one of those things where, like, I'm just consumed with with machine learning out in uh, out in real life, like out out in the wild, right? And recently, for me, it has seeped into my FileMaker world uh, pretty significantly. Uh, over the last couple of years, as far as just you know, me playing around with stuff, but I've been I've been integrating machine learning into FileMaker for better part of the last decade, um, in one way or another. That's why we're talking to you. Hey, but I'm really nerding out on it a lot. Like literally, like this is what I do on my weekends <laughs> when I when I don't have a bunch of work to do. I get into this booth here, which I consider to be my little like you know headspace. And uh, and all I'm just like driven to try to figure out ways to introduce machine learning into the FileMaker uh, platform, and I'm trying to evangelize that in any way I can because I, I just I just think there's so much there's so much incredible power here uh, that we could all benefit from. So I had some questions because I think for a lot of us we saw it when it first hit um, in FileMaker and like maybe played with it. It's actually part of the workplace innovation platform demos and things like that. Yep. For FileMaker 19, specifically, you're talking about CoreML support that was mm-hmm. introduced in FileMaker 19.0. That is what I'm talking about. And, um, and I think a lot of people got really excited about that. And if you Google FileMaker and machine learning right now, you'll probably see like 10 of the same article of vision model uh, training. And that's probably the easiest way to kind of start to wrap your head around machine learning mm-hmm. uh, in general as it pertains to FileMaker. And, and there are, t- you know, some limitations of the core ML approach, but that shouldn't stop anybody from, you know, delving even further into how machine learning can uh, improve their applications and um, create outcomes that were frankly not possible without the help of machine learning models. Let's step back and talk about the, the things that make it go and how you'd actually play with it if you wanted to get into it, which I definitely do. And I think a lot of other people do. 
And when did um, it start? So, was it yeah. 18 or 19? Um, well, the, the core ML support is, was introduced in 19 specifically with a couple of different things that, um, people might be familiar with if they've played around with it, but specifically the configure machine learning model script step. There's also a couple of functions. There's the compute model function, which requires a model to be running in that session. And then there's even a get model attributes uh, function, which you can learn about. And mostly like is a model running and, you know, different things about it that can help you within that session. But the idea is you have to have created a model already. And then you can embed a model into a container field in FileMaker and use the configure machine learning model script step to essentially flip the switch. And this is not too unlike what we've seen in um, other things like uh, NFC support or iBeacons where we're really like, kind of saying to the operating system, hey, operating system, I know you already have this kit, so to speak, installed. Turn it on because I want to use it within my FileMaker session. And so the same is true. You know, we're using um, a, a core ML on the, you know, at the operating system level. And that's that's actually, while I don't want to talk anybody out of it, that's where the limitations kind of stand. So this is a Mac OS, <clears throat> iOS, and iPad OS uh, supported feature. Um, now, while I in the documentation for uh, FileMaker Server, I've yet to try this out myself. They say that you can be hosting on FileMaker Server on Mac OS and your connected users on Windows uh, machines can benefit from the model running. I have yet to actually prove that out myself. Uh, instead, I've gone for API-driven approaches in, in case like that, uh, which th that those have been around in the platform for as long as we've been able to do uh, API calls, honestly. Yeah, any call so that goes out. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask if you couldn't do it on server specifically, you could use like a, a Macintosh agent machine, you know, basically. Yes, yeah. That's what the documentation states. But again, I haven't, you know, I, I haven't yet tried that out. But yeah, that's the idea. You just have an agent. The, the whole point of it is the operating system is the thing that has the kit in it. You need to communicate to an, an operating system, um, whether it be in your pocket, you know, in your phone, um, which is amazing if you think about that, to that we have machine learning on those little devices. That is just a, you know, head exploding mm -hmm. uh, concept alone. But getting back to CoreML, that was introduced in 19. You see a lot of work with vision models because vision models are easy for people to understand. Um, you know, I, like about a half a dozen other folks out there, did the hot dog, not hot dog demo, you know, to be able to take a picture. Is this a hot dog? Yes or no. Um, and, and I think people kind of get it when we're talking about vision, but the real huge upside comes from what FileMaker refers to as general models, but these are models that are, are using text data to train and predict rather than uh, image data uh, instead. But I think vision models make the most sense to people. It's the, here's a bunch of pictures of something. I'm going to train a model to recognize that thing when it sees it again. And then I can go take a photo of something or drop a photo into a container field. And then the model says, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that thing before. That's a spark plug or an apple or a pear or something, you know? So from the, from the, few times that I've used it, there's really only those two models. It's not like there's this suite of models, like there's 10 or 15 different things. I really only Correct. need to know it's either vision or general. general but then yeah. What falls within general? Uh, general is really uh, text-based. Um, uh, for example, uh, it, and it's not, and, and again, I don't want to talk people out of it. So there are some limitations. There's different approaches to machine learning models. Uh, like qualitative, quantitative models, these kind of things. There are some limitations to what CoreMLs can support. It's a little bit of a black box as well. Like we've created some models in other applications like TensorFlow, converted them into CoreML using uh, CoreML converters, and then put them into FileMaker and shoot the appropriate data over at it. And then we just get like a question mark back. So the problem is we can't really get into that thing and say, well, why, what are you confused about? What, you know, what, what's the problem here? Um, I did find out that if you use create ML while you're training the model uh, from a command line within FileMaker, you can actually get some tuning information back and help you kind of retrain on the fly. But but if if you try it in CoreML and it doesn't work, it just it doesn't work, and then you got to find another approach. So that's kind of where we're at as far as the the evolution of CoreML on the on the FileMaker platform. But vision models slam dunk. 
you know, those are easy. Uh, the general models, though, it's, it's, it's mostly just thinking about text. So the, here's, some, here's the vocabulary and sort of the general, you know, concepts of machine learning. Well, first of all, stepping way, way back, what are we even talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So machine learning is... Uh, it's computer science. This is nothing, this isn't new, right? This is kind of new to us in the FileMaker world, but it's been around for anyone who's been working with data at all. But it, it gives computers the ability to learn without Im- being implicitly programmed. So, like, we don't have to go in and say, hey, here's the outcome I'm looking for, so here's the programming to get it get us there. It's a data-driven approach uh, to a, a, a artificial intelligence that's based on the idea that systems can learn from data and identify patterns and make predictions. At, at its core, the, the easiest way to, like when I'm explaining this to my 75-year-old dad, I say, it's pretty basic. Find a pattern, and then from the, what you're finding in those patterns, predict uh, patterns in the future. So, yeah, um, Probabilistic so idea, algorithms, probably. That's literally what, what it is. Um, so the point is, like, you have to have a set of data that has historical data that that you can use to train a model. And then once it's trained to look for those things, then you feed it real-time data into the future and give it some, you know, uh, predictive element that it wants to predict instead. And that model that you're training it with is basically humans have determined, right? Humans have said, this is a picture of a bolt, this is a picture of a spark plug, this is a picture of an apple. Yeah, in the case of the images, humans have specifically fed it images of hot dogs or apples mm-hmm. or pears or whatever and said, next time you see this, um, you know, you'll, you'll recognize it and it's this thing. Mm-hmm. So you're actually saying to it, here's a picture of an apple and I'm calling this an apple. I'm classifying this thing as an apple. So there are humans that are actually saying that. Now, to some degree, though, when you get into data, humans are feeding it the data set. And you can choose to feed it smaller data sets or larger data sets. But at the end of the day, the, it, the, the patterns themselves are actually being found by the model and the training process. Now, you can, you can feed it more data. Like, you know, another uh, vocabulary that kind of comes into the context here is um, the columns of data that you're feeding to your model. Those are referred to as features. And so you can, fe- you can feed it, and, and we, those are just fields, right? Like, what mm-hmm. FileMaker fields am I going to send my model? Well, you can pick and choose which ones you want, and then you get some information back as you're training the model that tells you how precise this is, right? And so, you know, like, I could send it 15 different features or columns from my FileMaker data set, and it could come back and tell me it's only a 53% precise, and then I start taking a couple out or putting a couple more in, and I start getting a higher precision. And ultimately, that's the the role the human plays is uh, choosing which data it wants to send and um so i, I don't i don't want to say this, it's this has some bias, really but. good analogs like for example if you go to photos on the mac and you have and you turn the feature on for it to identify people in your family that's 100 percent a machine learning model face yeah. recognition from yeah. time to time okay is this a picture of your brother and you can say yes or no and if yep. there's two people who look really similar you know it'll actually be able to tell twins apart um Yes, it, it absolutely does that. It also, have you ever gotten like a memories from photos and it's like, here are a yep. bunch of flowers that you've had over the last year. Like it's literally yeah. just the model that recognizes uh, flowers. So those are all machine learning models. And that's kind of what, you know, when I mentioned before, I'm sort of fascinated with this uh, from a consumer standpoint. It's because we are completely surrounded by machine learning. Like, like not a single person listening to this is exempt from that statement. We are surrounded by it. Mostly we see it from a consumer standpoint. I mean, everything from those really terrible recommendations on Amazon where you bought a hammer five years ago and it keeps recommending a hammer to you. Like, that's obviously a machine learning model of your taste. Netflix and, you know, based on the stuff that you watch, here's a bunch of other things that we think you would like. Those are easy for us to understand, you know, consumer experiences that are completely machine learning model driven. My favorite one is I was I uh, went to Reverb.com to sell some of my gear, which is a great place to sell your musical instruments. And later on, I saw an ad on some random website for something I was selling. <laughs> yeah, I got a little confused by a model once. I was talking to an old friend from college, and he's like, yeah, this is my new business or whatever. And I Googled it. And then like a week later, I emailed him. I go, oh, my God, man, I was on some random website, and I saw an ad for your website. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not that random, actually. <laughs> that was totally so me. The files. What... Walk me back into how to actually do this in FileMaker. What's the Hello World I would so let's let's separate it into two different um, ways that you can experiment with machine learning. The first of which is CoreML, which is the native support that we've just been talking about through the you know configure machine learning model uh, script step, and then we'll put on the shelf for just a moment API driven or either pre-trained or custom models, but they're API Mm -hmm. calls, which 
there's nothing more you need to, you know, the file maker lift there is literally just making an API call and parsing out some JSON, right? Um, but we'll get to that from a strategic standpoint in a second. But the core ML uh, portion, um, backing again up, the uh, you know, understanding what you really want to do before you can use a model is you're likely going to have to train one unless you have a pre-trained model that you're going to send information to. Now, there's a lot of pre-trained models out there, by the way. Those are mostly just API-driven ones. Mm -hmm. So um, you could have a pre-trained model from CoreML, meaning someone else like me created one for you. As a matter of fact, I just did a, a article on LinkedIn where I created a sentiment analysis model, which is, you know, you can take a block of text and determine whether that it was positive or negative. Um, mm -hmm. I did the example of Airbnb reviews, and I just ran a model against a bunch of reviews, and it told me whether they're positive or negative, right? And then I created an add-on for that. And you can then download that free add-on, install it into FileMaker, and use that pre-trained CoreML model in your own solution. Otherwise, you're creating your own. So how do we create a model? So I think it's easier if we stick in the um, sort of keep the guide rails on of the vision mm -hmm. model since people can literally visualize that in their minds. So um, I don't know. Give me an example. Let's we'll talk, a, uh, you know, on the fly example here. What might be an interesting sort of visual recognition thing that might fit within the context of? Uh, uh, I've got one. So let's say you're a museum and you have a ton of photos because I have a couple clients like this. Perfect. And you have. 20,000, 50,000, whatever, um, photos. Like an exhibit um, of actual, you know, photos in a, in a gallery or something. Exactly. Like Perfect. And so they're historical photos, like a good, I'm thinking of a specific museum that has, some of the pictures are of buildings and some of the pictures are of people. And I really want to know which ones are buildings and which ones are people. And on all the ones that I have in my database, I've already put a field in FileMaker that says, this is John Smith, 1923, or this is the post office directed in 1923, whatever. Um, well, first of all, you just touched on something really important here. That is, if we're talking about, you know, FileMaker, like, first of all, who's a candidate for a machine learning model? Mm -hmm. You know, certainly anybody is, but the ones who can actually do something about it today are the ones that, well, this is really the only requirement. They have data. Okay, so that's why I'm so excited about the FileMaker community, uh, you know, getting excited as well about machine learning, because everyone listening is a candidate. Every one of our customers is a candidate because we all have this data. But the data needs to be kind of clean. And, and Matt, you just like gave the perfect example of it. If you had told me that you have a database of a bunch of images, but you have yet to add that one field where you're tagging, whether it's a building or whatever, mm -hmm. I would say, well, that's what you have to do first. You, you mm -hmm. have to go back and make sure that your data has some correlation in it. So um, then what you would do is export out those images that you just talked about, tagging them as either a building or, you know, whatever, however you want to call mm -hmm. it, a landscape or a building or something like that. Export them out and categorize them. And then you'll end up having this like training set of data. Okay. So you'll end up with a huge folder. Let's say you have a thousand images in there and you can now put them into subfolders of either landscape or building, for mm -hmm. example, right? And then within that set, let's say, you know, you've got uh, 500 images of each thing. I would take 100 of Well, I would, it's not recommendation. You have to. you got to take about 100 of them out, about 20%, and move it into another set of data. So what you're needing to do is create a training set of data, which is going to be a folder full of a bunch of images with subfolders. Mm -hmm. And those subfolders are going, to, are going to classify what images we're talking about. You know, landscape, building, whatever, whatever, right? And then a very similar uh, subset of data, which a much smaller one that is called the uh, testing data that has the same breakdown. Okay, mm -hmm. that's literally how you prepare to train your model. So let's say you've done that. Mm -hmm. Now you have to find a tool that you can use to train the model. And the one that I think we should all be using um, is the uh, CreateML tool. So if you have, if you have Xcode, you, you might have seen there's a bunch of these tools inside Xcode, and one of them is Create ML. So, is, stepping back on that, is that a free thing, or is that something you have to subscribe to, to the Apple development environment? Yeah, actually, you know, come to think of it, I mean, it seems free to me because every time I open it, it's there. But, uh, <laughs> but no, honestly, I think your only requirement is Apple developer. You have to be, you know. Uh, I, I think it's the, I'm, I'm not sure if, if actually, honestly, Xcode, you need to purchase. This is one of the tools that comes with Xcode. So if you have Xcode, you have this tool already, you might not even know it. I've got but, Xcode and I've got a developer account, but it's a non-paid developer account. So I'm, I'm not paying the, the 99 a year because I'm not releasing anything. So you, you can't access the tools. 
so and and I have the paid version, but I'm doing what you're doing as well, Matt. So um, I don't think I'm using paid. I don't think it what I'm doing requires that it's paid, but I am paying for it, right? So, so the idea is if you have Xcode and you have access to the tools, you can create your own CoreML model. And in, in the in the steps are so easy. I've done a bunch of YouTube videos on this, but it's really, really easy. You literally open it up, you pick, you know, image classification, and um, then you say, well, here's my folder with the training data, here's my folder with the testing data, and then you hit a little play button and you sit back and drink your Nescafe, and then it's done. <laughs> cool. And how long does that take? Like for, let's say you had 100,000 images, or is that more than you would really do? Well, actually, uh, that I just mentioned earlier, I did a sentiment analysis model. I actually created that one using CreateML, and I wanted to try out a million um, individual uh, items, mm -hmm. and that did take a little while. <laughs> I did. I had a M1 iMac, the one that I have here in my booth, and uh, I had to step away and let it kind of do its thing. I didn't really stick around and see how long it took, but um, it was, it was, it took more time than I, than I anticipated, but that was what the whole point was. I wanted to take a ridiculously large data set and see if it gave me more precision, precision than if I had a smaller data set. And in that case it did. Um, so, uh, but the smaller ones, like, um, you know, any, any other video that I've recorded uh, for creative mail doing vision models, I've recorded it in real time without a lot of, you know, dead air. So it's, it doesn't, and it, and it doesn't keep learning. Right. So like if you, if you start with a thousand images and then you add another 50,000, the model is what it is. It doesn't keep learning. If, if you say, Oh, you classify this one as a landscape, but it's actually not, that doesn't uh, reteach the model. Well, in what you just described, it is doing that in the process. They're, like they have what are called passes, so it's actually going to take multiple passes against the the model to to kind of tweak and 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 make sure that it's getting things accurate, right? Um, and that happens, so it'll it'll train it. All this is happening in those minutes that it's creating it for you. So you're getting a lot of that intelligence built in. But I think if we take that question and look at it a different way, after your model is done and you've got a model with, you know, 90%, you know, plus precision at accuracy, and then you add a new product or a new image that you want or, or category that you want it to recognize, um, you know, in your case, let's say you just trained it to recognize landscapes or buildings. Now all of a sudden mm -hmm. you want it to recognize sunsets too, right? Well, you would have to go retrain with that new classification in there. Um, so that concept of retraining is a big deal as well. Now we cannot retrain on the fly. FileMaker doesn't necessarily have the mechanism built into it natively to retrain. And it's actually kind of a big deal, like on the fly retraining, there are some tools out there, but they're kind of a big deal that they can do it. Like you have your model up in the cloud somewhere and you just keep feeding it live data and it retrains on the fly. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a, a big deal. And that again would be one of those API driven models, by the way. But, yeah. the, but the idea with the core ML is um, you can retrain it all you want. You can keep doing it every day if you want to. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but what it does is it actually outputs a file, a .ml model file that then gets dropped into a container field. So that sort of becomes then the moment you drop it into a container field in your FileMaker app, it becomes sort of a snapshot in time at, you know, this is the state of that model and this is what the model can do and recognize mm -hmm. at that moment. If you retrain, then you have to t t get another one and, and drop it in there. Okay, um, so now you've trained it with the Xcode thing. You've dropped the ML. ML file into, yeah, create ML. Drop that file into a FileMaker database into a container field. Yep. And then you use the script step. Yeah, you use the con configure machine learning model script step, which mm -hmm. basically just has a couple of inputs. It says, you know, what's the name of this model? It, only because then later in a calculation field, you're going to reference a model that's running somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you say whether or not it's general or vision. And in the w example that we're talking about, it's vision. Mm -hmm. And then um, you just literally flip the switch and run it. Then later, somewhere in your scripting experience, you're going to use the compute model calculation function. And the compute model function says, you know, in the case of vision, what's the name of the model that I'm looking for in this session? And then you say, oh, it's my, you know, the mat model. And then you go, okay, well, now I need to send it something to, to uh, compare and try to recognize. And that's where you're going to point to the container field that's going to contain the images that you wanted to evaluate. And you, of course, can loop across a found set of records mm -hmm. to have it determine that. And then what it does is it outputs, you're usually using this in the context of a set field, where you're going to, um, you know, take the output of that information and set it as, um, 
stored information inside a field in FileMaker. Mm -hmm. So really, like if you look at the FileMaker lift here, it's just a script that turns a model on and then another script that you use in a, in a field to send something to it and get output back as to what it thinks it is. And then what you get back is a JSON block of data, either... Um, most of the time, it's an array of different uh, JSON values, a, a, a kind of a name value pair of mm -hmm. this is the classification I think it is, and then something that's called confidence, which is literally a zero to one value um, that is a percentage of confidence that it thinks it knows. You know, like yep. uh, it'll say 99% confident this is an apple, but it will give you all the other classifications. So if you have the... Um, the building, sunset, uh, landscape, it'll give you the readings of all three. It'll say, yeah, there's, I, I'm at 0.0000.1% confident that this is a, a sunset and I'm nine point, you know, I'm 99% confident that this is a building or whatever. Right. right. And then you just do what you want with it inside, you know, your, your workflows within FileMaker. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty easy on the FileMaker side, frankly. So I, as, as Matt was asking those questions, I sort of came up with a very quick mental model that helps me uh, you know, solidify it. And it, I came up with four words, train, place, connect, and go. So you train with a tool, you place in a container, you connect via a script, and then you go with your script. And, Love it. And then that's Love what it. you do. Rinse and repeat. Rinse, rinse, yeah, yeah. Rinse, repeat. Well, not necessarily train, right? Like you can do the last steps as long as the model's already created and, and you know accurate for you. So yeah, that's that's literally it. Um, and and the other part is you know kind of talking in the context of FileMaker, like why why would we okay outside of a vision model, then we have general models, right? And someone um, here at iSolutions and I were talking about this, and they we were doing it. We were actually talking about a model for a customer, and they said, well, why don't it sounds like we're just doing an average. Why don't we just do an average? What do we need a machine learning model for? Well, in fact, we weren't doing an average for this customer. We were doing regression, uh, which is completely different approach to data uh, than doing an average on data. So what we cannot do in FileMaker are things like uh, regression analysis against data. That's not something that we have functions or support for within our platform. Mm -hmm. So for people that are thinking, well, why would I even look at this outside of vision? And we get into that general model thing. Think of these as custom functions on steroids, like custom functions that not only like custom functions, essentially let you do things FileMaker can already do, but in your way, Imagine if you could bring a custom function in that does stuff that FileMaker cannot do and can uh, crunch data at levels that are, you know, a thousand times, you know, human operations and stuff like that. That's what a machine learning model is. is. So then and since FileMaker can't do it, you got to go train it somewhere else. And then you bring what you've trained back into that environment. And now you have access to it with your real data uh, in your workflows in FileMaker. Sweet. <clears throat> so that helps me a lot understand kind of the, the pieces and parts of moving. My next big question is, um, if you don't have a solution that needs image training, what mm. are the, some of the other silver bullet things that are going to be useful for this? And you mentioned like general, like, like here, here's the here's the thing that I would totally dream about seeing, and you can tell me if you've seen this. Sure. Um, uh, you get an incoming name from, well, in my case, uh, for example, uh, like a lab report. So is this a document? Okay. Yep. So you get you get a, a lab test comes in. It says this person has <clears throat> this lab test result. And then you need to look up and see if that person's in your database. So you need to do a, basically a probabilistic search against the name, the date of birth, um, sex, address, phone number, all these other little p points of data, and determine if one of them is high, super high probabilistic match to a record I already have. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you're doing two things there. Mm -hmm. So um, a machine learning model can play the role of the document analysis, right? We're familiar with things like OCR from kind of back in the day, mm -hmm. but that, that's actually a really popular role for uh, pre-trained uh, machine learning models. Like for example, um, there's a bunch of AWS models out there for those that are pre-trained models that for, for people mm -hmm. that want to get started that way. Um, and one of them that does a lot of document analysis is called Comprehend. So you might use that 
a model or a similar one to recognize the document that you're feeding to FileMaker, whether this is some, you know, PDF you're dropping in a container field or whatever. And then you're, you know, having it look for specific areas in the document that you want to extract. Then you might actually need another model to say, what's the probability that I have this person? I mean, you're not doing like a match field connect. You're saying based on the properties that I'm seeing in this report, do I, I, I would, I'm going to tweak what your request is a little bit. Let's say you, you have a machine learning model, um, mm-hmm. extract information from the document, okay? Then what you want to do is find individuals who have symptoms that might also um, match the same diagnosis rather than you're trying to find a person because you could just do key, you know, key matches to find that actual person based on that data. But if you want to go find... Yeah, people, but that's actually really hard. I mean, because there could be <clears throat> there could be a typo in the date of birth. There could be a, a difference in the name. There's any one of a hundred things that could be, that could make a normal FileMaker search not work correctly. Great. Okay, good. This is perfect. So let's say those things exist. So you will then have a model that you would have trained with whatever the fields are that you think will recognize somebody or find them in your data set and say, here's all the features or the fields that mm-hmm. um, that are going to tell me who this person is, right? And then you train a model to figure all that out. And then what you do is send it whatever fields then you were able to extract from this document and say, Based on the probability of these things, here are the, the subset of individuals within your database that this might be. Um, but, you know, you're taking on a lot of the burden of the intelligence of what factors you're going to use to train those. So Yeah, that's, a, that's the other hard part, right? How do I train that with all the weird typos, you know? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I, I would say, though, that... Um, you know, that, that other approach too, just for people that are kind of thinking of, a, of different examples and hopefully one of these click gets the light bulb going for them. But the other part is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so you may say the person had these symptoms, this was their blood pressure, this was this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And based on all those things, we believe that they have blah, 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 because we have all these other people in our data set that had symptoms as well that we did diagnose and we found out, yes, in fact, they did have whatever it was, That's, right? <clears throat> that seems much better because it's more generic, right? It's like, you're not taking a look at a person to match a person. You're taking a look at a symptoms against a whole bunch of other people that you know have a certain disease based on the symptoms. Correct. Because yes. in my first example, if a new person was created, they wouldn't be able to be matched. Like in other words, if I once I train the model and then I get a new patient that I entered called Joe Smith, and then I get a lab report for Joseph Smith, it's not going to work because Joe Smith is not in my originally trained model, right? Well, yeah, I'm, you're, well, oh, I need a different approach, I think. Yeah, I it think depends I want to what your model's looking at. In your yeah, case, that, what there. you're expressing is you're expressing key attributes that are specific to something that you're looking for, mm-hmm. as opposed to general aspects of something that applies to a wider range of subjects. That's my, this is correct. that's what well, I can in- sense. And, and mm-hmm. I think uh, a good way to think about what's possible or how to frame out strategically a model that you might want to integrate into your solutions is think of that whole features target field thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to feed it, you know, let's, you know, practically speaking, you're going to export out a CSV document from FileMaker, right? And you have to pick which fields you're going to export out or the columns in that document. And let's say you have 15 fields and then the 16th field is this other one, which is, well, let me give you an example of something that I've been working on uh, demo wise. And, I, and I've tried to find something that makes sense to a lot of people. I took it, I found a bunch of uh, data online, which by the way, when I'm messing around with models, uh, I found this great resource called Kaggle, K-A-G-G-L-E, where you can go get massive data sets of data that you can use to train your model and, and you know, do experiments with your hypotheses. And in this case, mm-hmm. what I was doing was I pulled down like 30,000 uh, home, I think it was like truly a home data or something like that, right? And so what I was doing was... Um, wanting to create a model that would predict the appropriate asking price of a house that's being listed for sale, okay? And so what I had to do to train it was I go, I have to look into my historical data set and go, all right, well, I, in, in, the, in the, his, the history, I already have a sale price in there, right? So let me pull a bunch of factors or features that I think influence the sale price and see if I can trade a, uh, create a model that way. So what I determined after some trial and error is that, you know, number of bedrooms, uh, year built, stories, garage spaces, square foot, you know, on the lot and within the house. So like, like there's about, you know, 10 or 12 of those factors. In California, in, not in California. Well, and so that's, <laughs> so this is where I'm going with this too. Thank you for saying that. So, so this was like 30,000 across all of the United States, right? Mm-hmm. So I trained the model originally and I feed it 
the target field of the the, the actual selling price because this is historical data. Mm-hmm. Then it gives me back a model, a CoreML model, that now all I do is I feed it those same columns, but it supplies me the target field. If that's a if that's a, a way that maybe people can wrap their heads around this. Oh so yeah. In, so in that case, I then had a database where then I go, okay, well let's put another house in here. So I'm entering the data in. Here's how many bedrooms it has. Here's what the square footage is. You know, da 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 da. And then it pops out. This is what the asking price of the home should be. So that's really, I think, the best way to look at here's where, what my patterns are in my old data, and this is how I want it to predict moving forward in the future. And that one's kind of a road example. Now, to talk to you about the California, well, you know, I tested with uh, – I live in Southern California, so I, you know, was testing with my own home because I knew all these values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it didn't give me a very – I mean, if I was selling my house right now, I wouldn't have been very happy with the asking price that this model gave me. So what I did then is I retrained it on just of homes within that data set that were in Orange County or specifically Newport Beach, California, where I live. And then it actually gave me a price that made sense. So your data sets, in addition to the features, um, it need to be part of your hypothesis as well, because they may they may have that influence. I mean, home prices throughout the United States are very extreme, but I think an example that people can get why data sets are right. that's where the, like the however well you clarify your model, that's when you're going to get the most benefit from your model. So as you were walking through that example, my immediate thought process goes to. If you want a nationwide assessment of property values, well, you now need to think in terms of small circles because a property value is affected by a certain radius within that radius. So if you supply Latin long coordinates now, now you could, your model can specify, okay, if the radius, if it exceeds this certain radius from this major metro, well, then that's the price is now going to be affected and adjusted. And the machine learning can actually account for that if you train the model with that pattern. Well, and it, and it should, right? This should be part of your, your strategy. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. We just deployed a uh, model for a client of ours. And what they're doing is they're in the uh, education space where they uh, provide a service to, to private schools to say, hey, these are individuals who would most like, you know, these are people that would be able to afford the tuition at your school or, you know, people you should seek out in your marketing efforts for, uh, you know, to send applications to. So we, we, he, he came to us, he's a knowledgeable person, you know, regarding machine learning. And he said, I would like a model that can be a predictive score within all this data that I'm sending to these schools that tells them, you know, zero is the least likely that this person's going to accept your application and be able to afford and, and successfully pay for four years at your school and maybe have legacy or something like that. And then 100 is the most likely, uh, in, you know, household really is what this is mm-hmm. that can do so. So we created a model that did that. But what we ended up doing was we had to create a model for very specific regions. Like the first model we created was for, you know, a Florida metropolitan area. And now if he wants to, if he has a customer that he's onboarding in Orange County, California, he will need to then get in a historic data set from them and, and train an Orange County, California model for them that would then be used in that region. Like kind of speaking to your circles concept. And that, that's a limitation of the implementation that we have with FileMaker, where if you were doing something geographically based, you'd have to have multiple models. Whereas online, using something like Watson or something where you can expand the model, that may be something that you could grow, but you'd be accessing that through an API, not through FileMaker's native steps. Yeah, and really, in in your overall model that you're feeding data to, could really be a set of a series of of individual models that are kind of helping find the right one. You know, it directs it to the correct one, and then that gives you your prediction. These are all that's that's all okay. As a matter of fact, I did. Um, you know, the reason I the way I got started into machine learning myself was because I took a hobby. Um, I'm kind of a sports nerd. It was and, a football uh, helmet. Yeah, the, well, I did a football helmet visual one. I actually had these little football helmets from uh, when I was a little kid, and I actually scanned every one of them and uh, created a vision model of my collection of football helmets. I think I got them from like uh, A&W root beer uh, burger stand or something back in the 70s. And now I can just take a picture of any one of them and it'll identify it. Um, another that, foot- um, frosty look taste. And then, <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, and, uh, and then, but the other football one is one where, you know, I'm a grown man and I 
play this like Dungeons and Dragons of sports called fantasy football. And uh, um, I back in like 10 years ago, I well, what detected is that, that a multi billion dollar industry. Oh, I'm sorry, yes, everybody's uh, into, into gambling and winning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, over half of the adult population engages in one way, shape, or form in this, but not really in our community. So I have to be somewhat apologetic. Um, but uh, so hashtag sports. But what I detected uh, is that I found a little. Um, I found a, an error in the scoring for this game and I thought, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, take advantage of this so that I can have the upper hand when I'm, you know, gambling against my friends and family and unsuspecting individuals. Right. Mm -hmm. So I tried to do it in FileMaker. This is kind of a great way to explain sort of the limitations of FileMaker. I tried to mm -hmm. do it with averages, weighted averages. Right. And I just couldn't do it. I, what I was trying to do is say when a quarterback, that's a position in football, um, is playing on a grass field in a night game against a team that's ranked, you know, within this level against quarterbacks. And he has uh, wide receivers and tight ends that are ranked in this category of offensive efficiency. What could we expect his output to be in that game? And I thought, oh, this is great. I have all the old historical data. I'm going to do averages and try to weight the averages. Well, I banged my head against the wall for like a year trying to figure that out. And ultimately what I, I discovered was that that's an, a perfect example of regression, specifically ridge regression is what we have to do to determine what, you know, what that outcome might be. Mm -hmm. So I engaged a, a, now a, a friend of mine and, and person who actually is on the modeling team here at iSolutions to create a model for me. And what we ended up doing was creating several models, like one for quarterbacks uh, who are home and on, on grass and one for them, you know, being away and all these. So yeah, really it was a, a rain. Yeah. And so all I'm yeah. doing is feeding the appropriate model to whatever the circumstances are. So in that case, the strategy very much was a ton of models and then just send the one, to, you know, f figure out which one is needed based on the outcome you're looking for. So you're basically way, taking I, results from multiple models, but correlating results. Exa yes. So there's another level of correlation that happens after you got it. Results. And then you took your winnings and bought a house in Newport Beach? Uh, sort of. Actually, <laughs> what ended up happening is that got me a job on, um, I, this is a little Chris Apple trivia. I was on uh, Sirius Radio for like two years doing a show on their fantasy sports channel. I did like 36 episodes of that. Then that got me a job at NFL where I worked on uh, NFL.com and I used to write a feature article for like, I think three seasons, which had over a million unique readers. And what those unique readers didn't realize is this was just an output from my FileMaker system for a bunch of predictions. <laughs> and even the images I was using were, you know, outputs of visualization that what that I did inside a web viewer. So, um, and then, oh, and then that became a commercial enterprise that, that I've engaged in and that has been the top five ranked top five and top 10 most accurate predictor. It thinks it's a human, the, 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 mm -hmm. the sites that, that determine the accuracy think I'm a human, but it's really just robot Chris predicting all those. And it's one of the most accurate predictors of fantasy football outcomes in the world. Hey, FileMaker, right? So <laughs> these are all very possible. I got to think there's an unbelievable amount of this stuff in play in the stock market. Oh, trying to, there trying is, to their sentiment and, analysis is by and far is huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, it, huge. That's literally all the stock market is anymore. I did an internship yeah. in uh, the stock Chicago <clears throat> Chicago Stock Exchange. It was the Midwest Stock Exchange back then, where I learned what regression was, and and understood the, that evaluation. And so those humans are no longer doing that evaluation. It is all machine learning. So it's just machines battling with machines, and that's why you see these really like really weird sell offs and stuff like that because it's just models saying, okay, now we've reached that threshold that our model tells us introduces you know less risk. So or more risk or whatever, sell, 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 sell. So that's literally how the stock market runs. That's actually and then on top of that, it's proximity because it's people buying data centers relative to the exchange. Who's got the fastest model working within the shortest amount of time? So that's if your milliseconds correct. beat my milliseconds, then your model reacting causes my model to react. <laughs> and yeah. people should Google that because there's some fascinating things that have gone on historically and I'm currently bad. with how close you are to the data and how close your model is to the data for that kind of analysis. Yep. Yeah, I only learned about regression from my therapist. Wait, that, that was repression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about that joke for the last five minutes. You can uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a question, Chris. Um, yes, sir. Has it been mostly just the CoreML native stuff or have you done... For example, my my only current exposure is um, 
uh, through uh, through IBM, you can actually get a free account and set up a free Node-RED server. That Node-RED server can tie into their Watson services. Mm-hmm. So anything that Watson offers, you can you know pass it through an a- through the FileMaker API through curl straight up to Watson. Watson will do its thing through Node, and then you can capture it back in via the data API. But I don't know like other things that are out there. That's m- my only exposure is uh, IBM's Watson and then what Amazon has. But yeah, I don't know Amazon, what the other players are. Uh, Amazon AWS has, uh, I would recommend people check out Comprehend, Recognition, Lex, Personalize, Translate, Poly. These are all the same kind of thing, same similar services to what you're talking about. They even have a tool over at Amazon that's called uh, SageMaker that allows you to create and train your own ones. Um, so those are kind of the heavy duty, like if you're, if you're doing machine learning on behalf of customers, you should probably be using tools or, you know, s- something along those lines. Um, but if, if folks want to like really come down to like the lowest hanging f- fruit and just like play around with uh, pre-trained models and get used to this concept, mm-hmm. um, I would recommend, um, I used to go right towards this thing called monkey learn, which, um, I heard about, you know, someone, uh, Heidi Porter actually did a presentation on it, uh, several dev cons ago. And, uh, got me uh, all excited about it. Problem is I started working with the monkey learn guys and even got the monkey learn connector added to the Claris connect uh, app directory. And then they get sold and their pricing models ridiculous. It's like, yeah. I, I just wanted to do a couple of demos and they were going to charge me like 5,000 bucks a month. So don't use monkey learn anymore, but it is uh-huh. an example of pre-trained models. But I found another one that's called lobe.ai, L-O-B-E.ai. This is another easy to approach one where you can do vision models, you know, kind of for fun. Um, it's an online cloud-based service that you can use. So um, I would try, I would try that out, um, and uh, I think you'll, uh, I think you'll at least be able to start wrapping your head around it and feed it data and figure all that stuff out. So this is cool stuff. So, so what what about because uh, you've got an example? Something that's interesting to me is the whole notion of what we find in our society that is able to be faked because of computers. Visual because of deep fakes. I don't know if at the very beginning we threw that term around, but some people don't know that a deep fake is a complete misrepresentation of a real or non-real human being. And the same thing applies to audio and voice. And I know you've got an example. (laughs) Yeah, we should be Everyone should be terrified. Um, about this. Uh, I did a deep fake, you know, when we, when, uh, Nashville, original Nashville was canceled. Um, I did a deep fake of me coming, walking out of, or coming off of a, a, a little, um, shuttle bus right out in front of the, the Opryland, whatever it's, it was called Gaylord Opryland mm-hmm. of me coming off of the bus going, Hey, where is everybody? I thought we were supposed to do our ice solutions dinner. And I sent it over to the team. Now the secret is I actually knew someone out there that went and did like walk, you know, walked off the bus and, you know, did some hand gestures and, you know, had a really svelte muscular body. And, uh, and then I just took that video and then I had, I had trained it what my face looks like. Then I had to train it what their face looks like. And then I swapped them. And so, uh, like, and then the tool that I used to render it actually did a really good job. So as long as I was far enough away from the camera, it looked like it was me saying that. Right. So that's what deep fake is. And that we should be terrified about because, we're not going to know what's what anymore. Um, you know, when it, when it comes to that type of stuff, the technology is absolutely, Oh yeah. Hyper fake news indeed. Like, and, and there's literally people out there like the, the Elon Musk's of the world are saying, Hey, we need to regulate this stuff. Like it's already there and we need to like, whether it's the deep fake with the face stuff or the voice thing, um, all of those things need to be regulated some way, shape or form because it's the, it, there's no it's it's already happening like it's yeah, not like we're we're thinking about it's coming it's there already i'm on a i'm on the reddit uh the subreddit called deep fakes and you literally watch some of them and it's very it's almost it's very interesting but it's somewhat distressing to know that you can watch something visually that if you were to see it in real life it would be real but most of what we make a lot of decisions based on is not something we're interacting with on real life. I don't see a senator in my day-to-day right. routine, but if somebody wants to put news clips out there of senators saying things and it's so real, there's a literal battle between how are we going to determine whether this is faked or not faked? And well, it's and, like, and, yeah. 
well, it, it, there's it, no governments in the world uh, that are actually trying to do this stuff to us. So I'm really glad about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other part. Well, that's what the great frontier is right now. Forget the space race and the nuclear arms race and all that kind of stuff. It's all about data and models and all, all of that is happening right now as we speak. You know, we, we, we see it under the guise of like hacking, but it's very much just like model building. And I'll point to a perfect example of this. Well, first of all, I'll tell you that um, – that like a lot of these services, like the one I use with the deep fake requires that there be a little like um, something that's burned into the video, either visually or something that can be forensically extracted that says that it's deep fake. Right. Um, the other part ad- addressing that is I heard somebody talk about in some podcast I was listening to that said something kind of interesting. And they said, well, look, this is no different than before photoshopping came out. Like when you would see a picture of somebody doing something nefarious as a still, you there was a time where the first time you saw a photoshopped image, you were like, "Oh my God, Matt Navarre is you know uh, balancing a banana on his nose or whatever." Like I can I can do that. And then culturally, you know, individual by individual, and then culturally as a whole, we started to accept that not everything we're seeing as a static image is real anymore, right? To the point where now it's part of our vernacular. We just go, oh, that was probably Photoshopped, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. now, like, literally every single image that's on Instagram has some sort of, <laughs> like, touch-up or right. something yeah, done exactly. to it. So the same will eventually happen. No from a trust standpoint from video where context is going to be important and different things like that are going to come into play. That's, um, uh, that's for me, that's what it is. It's an erosion of your level of trust. Human trust is going to take a downward trend over the next. Sadly, that's sadly, yeah. that's exactly what it is. It's an erosion of uh, human trust. And, and unfortunately that's not the only thing that's eroding human trust. It's, it's just breaking us down, but eventually yeah, again, video unfortunately, will get there. there's no, no, um, People in the world who are actually trying to erode our trust without using any deepfake technology, I can't speak today. (laughs) (laughs) This is all fascinating, but I really want to know, what's the future of this as it relates to FileMaker? Well... First of all, there's no present, I don't believe, in in FileMaker. Part of the evangelizing that I'm doing right now is, of course, yes, I'm trying to get people out in the world to contact iSolutions, to build models for them, and we're already doing that. So that's Mm -hmm. fine. Check that box. It's great. But the other evangelizing that I'm doing is trying to create awareness within the community to say, hey, this is a thing. It's approachable. You can do it now because I just feel that it should be more widespread. Now, of course, that's somewhat Mm -hmm. self-serving. I want customers out there to start thinking that this is something they could be doing as well. So it's really not have a use right now by people. I don't think it's in use at all. But frankly, I, I, I would be very skeptical. I, I'm sure, you know, I, I, I know the people out there that are doing these types, types of things. I probably, I'm guessing they have single digits of examples of deployments for these things. I want that. I would like to see that change. So the present needs to change mm-hmm. first. Got it. And I, I think though, that's more of a phenomenon that we already have experienced in the FileMaker community where when, you know, we're a 30 year old technology with twice as old sometimes individuals that are actually doing the development. So getting out of our comfort zone is not something that us FileMaker developers are known for, right? Worldwide, you look at all our numbers and the amount, the percentage of individuals that are doing things like API integrations, JavaScript integrations, or, you know, any kind of AI whatsoever, let alone machine learning are probably mm-hmm. in the single digits. Yeah. That, that's unfortunate. So we have to move that first. And mm-hmm. the way that people need to start thinking about it is, um, I, I would actually frame up the now, the present, and then I'll talk to you about the future. But the present, I would say that I don't think that – I want to be careful with this because I've been saying the same statement to people at Claris all the time. But I don't think that anybody that's interested in getting into machine learning and managing their data – should go towards FileMaker for that reason alone. I think that anyone who's already using FileMaker, who's been, been creating what I refer to as these pools of data, intelligent data that they have, they should absolutely be looking at a way to leverage the platform that they've already invested in by introducing machine learning into that. And, and we have customers that have done small little experiments with machine learning that have become huge differentiators in their marketplace against their competitors. Like one little field that they're creating with the model has has allowed them to become, you know, heads and shoulders above the rest of their competition. Mm-hmm. They become more attractive from a valuation standpoint, from acquisition. I mean, these are like real things that that people can introduce into their uh, into their ecosystem right now. So, so I think it's more about right now. Than- yeah, the light bulb for me in this conversation was was the line of specificity of the data, right? As I was kind of going through my example of having it look up names, I it was clear that 
you, that wouldn't really work because you, you have to constantly retrain your model. But then you said, no, you can take a look at symptoms and disease. And so you can have a set of data. So if you th I'll think about all the different databases where I have this intelligence set and figure out where I can draw a line of fields and data that I already have and train a model that would actually give me some predictive thing to make data entry easier, faster, and have less human interaction to then classify something. Yeah, and, and Matt, that's perfect. <clears throat> you reminded me of two things. Let me share this with you to help frame this up. First of all, my journey in FileMaker as it pertains to data working with data. Mm -hmm. When I first started working with FileMaker back in the whatever, I don't know, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, oh, I've been using FileMaker since Nutshell or whatever. I'm but that guy. I, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's fine. So I, I haven't, uh, but when I first started using it, it was just a, a, a word processing thing. We had paper forms that you used to handwrite on, and now we're typing them into a computer, mm -hmm. right? And then oh, now it gives me, oh, wow, I can retrieve that data without flipping through a filing cabinet, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that really, I think that sucked me into this to become, to become a career was, <clears throat> oh, wait, when that data is living in there waiting to be retrieved, holy cow, it can talk to other data and and draw conclusions and aggregate. And now it seems so rote now, but we're just talking about calculations and logic. But to mm -hmm. me, that was game changer stuff, right? So like, remember, you know, the old FileMaker filing cabinet thing, like when I first started using FileMaker, I was replacing the, the folders in the filing cabinet. Mm -hmm. But I, would, I literally sat there one day and looked over at all these filing cabinets in this office where I was. And I went, imagine if all those folders could talk to each other. Like, what kind of intelligence could they create? And that is where I started thinking, like, oh, my God, like custom databases and, you know, the, the, the data collection is one thing. But then the intelligence that that data can provide is another. To me, this is just the 2022, like, humans can't even do what we're having our models do. So now it's like we have all this value in there. So, yes, Matt, go look at your data. Try to figure out what kind of stuff you're doing manually. Like, we had a customer say to us, yeah, we've got this thing where we got all these products and then we go to the product owners and we say, hey, prioritize these in the order that you think like they, they should be, we should be uh, at, uh, giving marketing uh, budget towards them, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point there's a human making a decision that has tons of dollars assigned to it, right? So instead we're now saying, well, let's create a model for you to, to prioritize instead and then you can go do the, like, you know, the, the, the marketing uh, allocations towards that. So it's just finding areas where maybe there's organic decisions being made that you can make as machine decisions and improve upon those. That's Got the it. first realization. And part two is, mm -hmm. let me give you a actual example of me who knows about this thinking, oh, wait, I found a great model I could create. And then, oh, wait, actually, I got some work to do. So here, here it is, a quickie. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a system here that we call iTools. It's just our CRM, our bid creating thing, our billing. It's just like our everything solution. And it's in mm -hmm. FileMaker Shocker. Weird. And um, <laughs> super weird. And it's a and one of the components is this project management aspect of it, where we're putting in our project plans and all the updates and all this other kind of stuff. And to me, I've become really obsessed with risk. Like that's pretty much all I do now is just like try to recognize risk. And I realized that I have to rely on project managers to express what they identify as risk to me. And then I have to make my own risk assessments to see whether or not that's something I need to be worried about. So I then instead went to our modeling team, this guy that I worked on with the football thing back in the day who still does the modeling for us now. And I said, I want a project risk rating. And, um, and he's like, great idea. That'd be cool. Like, you know, here's the different factors that can introduce risk and how long they've stayed stagnant without being addressed. Like all these things are great. And then he goes, and I go, oh, this is gonna be so exciting. I'm gonna have a risk rating model and it's gonna help me, you know, retire easier or earlier or whatever. And then he goes, okay, well, do you have this field, that field, this field, that field, this field, and, you know, in your workflow? And, I, and the answer was no. So literally that turned into, let me go add a bunch of fields in my system and start collecting that and, and you know, having the users enter that data. And then maybe six months down the road, I'll have enough data to actually train a model. If yeah, because you have to know, like, was the project successful? Yep, There's All these other things. I don't know. One of the things that I really love is if something gets really far behind, it actually gets less likely. Um, like if you, if the date slips by two months, and you think it's going to be another month before it's going to be complete, the farther it goes behind, it actually is more likely that it's going to be even farther in the future before it's done. Yes. It's so not like, like the cone of certainty. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> it explodes right. yeah, out it's the very, other way. It's not at all intuitive. No. So like when you're, when you're two months behind and you think you have another month to go, it's more likely that you actually have two months to go. When you're six months behind and you think you have another 
two months to go. You probably have six or eight months to go. That is the perfect thing for a model to be telling us, right? Yeah. And then telling us early mm -hmm. and often when it recognizes something before it even blossoms into that thing that usually we're like, oh my God, that's a risk, right? So so to me, that's how we should be thinking about the data that we have. We should also be thinking in two different ways. You know, there are predetermined machine learning models out there like sentiment analysis, text extraction, classification, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. See if you can fit some of those in to your workflows right now so that you can kind of get the feel for machine learning, right, and how to integrate it in the first place. And then at some point, then you'll get into creating custom models. And, you know, we're in the FileMaker space, so all of us get why custom is better than pre pre-made, right? Yeah. Um, and so that, I think, should be the evolution of how people are integrating these into their own. Some, somebody emailed me another really good, uh, after Matt and I talked about this in our recent uh, podcast, of a common model that he uses in his um, WebDirect database where people are just putting images in. He wanted to be able to filter out um, images that were not safe for work. So basically looking oh. at scantily clad people or non-, non Yeah, actually, um, the recognition model from AWS does that. Mm -hmm. uh, if people are interested in doing that. Um, and um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, well, it's more so for, yeah, for like kids, like, hey, is this video on YouTube something that's safe for kids or whatever? Well, right. you yeah. run it against the model and it would give you a determination or, or something. So my last question on this one is deployment, right? So we talked a little bit about the two ways to do this. In FileMaker, where you use the compute model function and it's actually stored in the database and then using an API. Obviously the API method we can do on any platform, there's no restrictions. Yep. Um, given the fact that this is a Apple CoreML function, how is this deployed? How, what are the limitations of deploying this in a Windows world? Well, that's it's an excellent question. So just to be clear, though, we're talking just about using the CoreML model, the one you drop in the container field mm -hmm. and you turn on with the script steps. So that right now, when you flip the switch and you say, turn on this model so I can access it and, and ask it a question and it gives me a response, that's actually you telling the operating system to flip the switch on this model. So you're passing the model over to your OS is, a, is kind of a good way to think about it. It was the same thing with like beacons and range and, and NFC. It, that's not stuff that FileMaker has. FileMaker just says, hey, Mac OS, turn this on and I'll send you some information in a second, you know, now that it's on. So that requires Mac OS. So on desktop, if your model, so let's think about this. If you have a, a image recognition uh, model, I could be the one person at my office that's doing the recognition. Like I run the script that does a loop against the yesterday's batch of new images that we got and tells mm -hmm. me if they're not safe for work or whatever it's trying to do. And then the rest of the users of my system could benefit from the output of that, right? It could, it's just stored data that gets set into a field. So not every user needs to be on Mac. Someone who's running the model or leveraging the model needs to have access to Mac OS or iOS, which is on the phone or mm -hmm. iPad OS which is on the iPad, of course. So Alleged if you have like a Windows server and a Windows client, there's, they can't run this at all. There has to be a Mac somewhere in the mix. Well, the so Mac client, oh, right. Windows client, Windows server, no, that's correct. That is a non-starter. Then you're absolutely looking at API-driven models. In that but a case. Windows server with a Mac client could do it by running the yeah. model locally? Mac client, and a, yes. And a Windows yeah. client with a Mac server could pass it off to the server to do a it. Allegedly, that's what FileMaker's uh, documentation states. I have yet right. to try that out myself. But I also I'm, don't know if that actually really exists because who would use a Mac server in 2022? Just buy well, the one I, guy an M1 iPad and be done with it. And that's really it. So that's part of the conversation is, A, are we going to use CoreML? Do we have somebody that's on a Mac that can just run these things? How often do they need to be run? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that, that Those are really the questions. And if, if some of those answers are no and it's not a fit, well, then you go to the API model where it's right. just an API. It's literally yeah. just here. I'm sending it a URL with some data attached to it, and it's giving me data back. And I parse that out in the form of JSON. Right. I parse it out and put it in a field. Done. Yeah, you're still using machine learning. You're just not using Apple's CoreML at that point. Correct. And I want to make sure like, that people understand those are different. Yep. CoreML is just one of the ways you can use it. Yeah. So really, this this podcast episode was about two things really: then CoreML and also machine learning in general, and the two ways to do it. I hope so. I hope that people understand that that's a thing. Like, you know, I personally have only been working with CoreML machine learning for two years because that's the only time we've had support for it in FileMaker. But I've been integrating machine learning into my FileMaker applications for the better part of the last decade. And I think we've been doing that and not even knowing it. Like forever ago, I implemented one uh, for an address checker with a post office or some third party. And it yep. comes back with something that looks exactly like you're talking about, right? JSON that says, 
oh, you entered an address. I think this is probably the address, but these are some other really low probability ones that could also be. Yeah, that's actually, that's a pretty good example that I think people can wrap their heads around. Like the highest probable one is the one they they send you. And then they go, well, if that's not it, check these. Those are literally just the ones that it has less confidence on as a match. Mm-hmm. But, but also you are literally surrounded by machine learning at all times. So I would say for those that are listening to this, that are still listening to this episode who are thinking, okay, fine. This is probably just another one of those, you know, fancy things that I can ignore. I would say that we're getting a little, we're getting into the long tail of, of, of modern technologies that we can ignore within FileMaker. I, I think at some point we have to be responsible and say, all right, people are paying me for my knowledge and people are paying me to be, you know, progressive as it comes to technology. I can't keep ignoring integrations and APIs. And now machine learning is the next thing I'm here to say you can't ignore because I'm going to make a bold prediction and tell you that within three to five years, you can only remain competitive if you're leveraging machine learning in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And I'm comfortable with that statement. Sweet. That's actually pretty awesome. Well, uh, you've heard it here, down. folks. I'm going to break it down to one <laughs> it down. statement. It's the one it. thing that I heard I from this. Chris <laughs> as we fade out here. It is the quintessential assessment of the value of learning machine language. And here it comes. What if all the files in the folders could talk to each other? That's it. Just That's remember it. that and uh, you're good to go. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, guys. It's been awesome. Talk. Yeah.